and uh, just a sentiment to what Bill said, the, the brunch was great. Uh, Miss, Miss Valerie taught me how to play Farkle, and, but Ken made sure I was going to win something, so, so I appreciate it. But I enjoyed Farkle. We've done Yahtzee before at our house, but uh, Farkle was a little bit different. The thing I liked about it most, and I think I told him, I said, I don't care if I win or not. I said, I'm just enjoying interacting with people. And, of course, it's the one time you can take a risk. If you go fark on, you go bust. I mean, you know, I didn't lose anything other than just bragging rights. So, anyways, with that said, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. We're going to continue in Acts chapter 3. <clears throat> Title the message is, The Disciples Explain the Miracle. Last week... The disciples engaged the opportunist. He was there begging for money. Some were there trying to get attention. Well, today the disciples explained the miracle. And if you would, please stand with me to read verse 25 and 26 of Acts chapter 3. I'll read that and then I'll, uh, then I'll have prayer with us. You are the sons of... You are the sons of the prophets and, the, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we pray that you would take your word and always do what you're going to do, and that is that it will not return to you void. That you will take your word by your spirit to illumine the hearts of those who do believe. And that you would open the eyes of those that do not believe. That we all may praise Jesus and put him in his proper place. And that is on his throne. So Father, we surrender you to this morning. And we just ask that you would move in our midst. To accomplish what you want. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The disciples explain the miracle. Now, this is off the message. But just so you know, if I ever remember on a Super Bowl Sunday, I always give a Super Bowl prediction. It's not because I want one team or the other one to win. So don't think I'm on one side or the other. But my Super Bowl prediction, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, I guess either... Wednesday or whatever, or you can text me later and go, ha-ha, you missed it. But my Super Bowl prediction is Chiefs 34, 49ers 31. That's my prediction. You can write that down and, you know, put it in your little envelope or whatever. But don't get on one of those apps and try to bet on what your pastor just predicted, please. Don't do that. Number one, because I don't want you betting, okay? That's probably not a good practice. Number two, you're probably going to lose your money. So, But for fun purposes, Chiefs 34, 49ers 31, and if I'm right, I'm right. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Uh, however, though, my wife is from Kansas, so we are rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs on the Missouri side, So, just so you know. But that's not why I predicted that. I just think that's where it's going to go. Anyways, now that we've had a little fun, and, uh, and I'll, probably go, I'll probably go Farkle on that prediction. You can tell Valerie later on. Uh, if you don't know what Farkle is, it's a game, and if you go Farkle, that means you didn't make any points. So the disciples explain the miracle in this a story last week, there was a miracle. There was a lame man. He was sitting there begging by the temple, which was common because people coming into the temple had money to maybe give to the temple or to show off how they're giving money to the, to the beggars. And of course, Peter and John were entering the temple to go and pray. And they saw that man last week when we read it. They saw that man, and that, and that man 
kind of gave a little attention, and Peter said, look at me, because he knew the man was begging for money. He said, money have I none. What I do have, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And the man rose and walked. And, they, and as they walk into the temple today, the people are just amazed. The man's leaping and praising God, giving God credit. And so the people were very amazed. They were, they, matter of fact, it's going to talk about here in a little bit how they kind of they come running towards them, which implies they want to find out what this is all about. And, and Peter takes this opportunity to explain the miracle, that that miracle that just happened happened in the name of Jesus, and it came to authenticate the message of Jesus that Peter has. And so as they do that, Peter begins to explain to them in very much detail why Jesus is the only hope, not only for this man's healing purposes, but for their greatest need, and that is to be forgiven and be washed away of their iniquities, their sins. And so that's where we're at today. The disciples explain the miracle. In verse 11 through 12, Peter speaks to the inquiry. Peter speaks to the inquiry. Look at verse 11 and 12 of Acts chapter 3. Now, as the lame man was who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he saw their interest, right? When he saw their interest, when he saw it, he responded to the people. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness... We had made this man walk. Peter sees the interest. Later on in one of Peter's epistles, he says, be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. And a lot of uh, preachers that get into apologetics or defending the faith of the gospel, these guys that get up and maybe debate or just in conversation is the way I like to practice apologetics, not in some open floor debate. But apologetics is just simply defending the faith. It's not apologizing for the faith. It's, it's an art, a science of defending the faith. In other words, if someone came to you and said, why do you baptize by immersion? Well, you could answer them, well, the reason we do that is because we believe it, it, it is a picture of us dying in Christ and raising the newness of life, and therefore we baptize by immersion uh, under the water, and that's why we do that. It's just you're, you're answering their questions. And Peter Notice the people's interest. They all ran to this man that was hanging on to Peter and John. So he, saw, he thought of it as an implication that they're inquiring what, what in the world just happened here. So Peter speaks to their inquiry. The people run to Peter and John. The people presume this event. They, they presume that maybe Peter and John did something to this man. And Peter says, not me. It wasn't us. You know, you're trying to think. So they ran over there. They presumed some stuff. And the people needed clarification. A miracle had just happened. I don't know how many years or days this man has always set up there at the temple. But we read last week that they always put him there. Whoever they were. Maybe it was his family. Maybe it was people that were taking care of him. But they always put him there. <clears throat> However long that man was at the temple. And now all of a sudden, these people that went to the temple see this man healed. He's on his feet. 
He's walking around and he's praising God. He's giving God the credit for his healing. These people are interested. Well, you know what? God used in this instance, just like on the day of Pentecost when he used the gift of tongues, where they were speaking in a language that they didn't know to those that knew the language, people from all over the world. God used that gift to authenticate what Peter was fixing to preach, the gospel. Here, he used the gift of healing. And that miracle got the people's attention. What just happened here? They all ran over there. They were attracted to it. People, people need a drawing message. Now, I'm not talking about craftiness. I'm not talking about uh, some kind of trick. But they need a drawing message. And when this church has a reputation that they have people that love Jesus, so they have a, a, a reputation of people come to know Jesus Christ, their lives change, it draws people. It draws their interest. They may not darken the doors of the church, but it draws their interest. And in this moment, God used the gift of healing to draw the people, draw their attention. That was, the, that was what God used to, as a message to draw the people. People need a drawing message. And on that day, Peter began to speak to their inquiry because they were drawn to what God had done. Here in a little bit, Peter's going to clarify with them who really did this. In the meantime, he's looking at them saying, hey, I know what you're presuming. This man is hanging on us. This man's healed now. You think we've done something, but we, we didn't do nothing. Peter was making sure in a little bit who was going to get the credit and by what message it happened. So the first thing Peter did is he speaks to the inquiry. Lots of times, especially as a hospice chaplain, I'm in a home, I'm in a, I'm in a nursing home, I'm in a facility. And one of the first things someone does when they presume the chaplain, that's quote-unquote, is coming, they just assume I'm there to do their funeral. So I never wore a jacket like this when I went into a home. I usually wore a polo shirt and a pair of slacks. And sometimes I didn't even come in with my Bible. You say, oh my gosh, you didn't come with your Bible? No, I didn't. Because when I first went to meet somebody, I didn't want to intimidate them. I didn't want, I didn't want to presume anything. But I went in there and I just began to introduce myself. Find out where they were from. Find out how long they've lived at this facility. Find out if they had any kind of church family. Find out if they have any family in the area. And, and what I learned in that engagement, that face-to-face -face, as we talked about in Sunday school, and matter of fact, if I was smart enough, you know, we got Facebook interaction, right? If I was smart enough, I'd write a book called Face-to-Face -face Book and teach us how important it is to make eye contact or to hold someone's hand or if someone's in a wheelchair, you don't stand over them, you kneel down and you get eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball with them. And so when I would do those engagements, my philosophy was is they didn't care what I knew until they knew I cared. And so I began to ask questions about them. And this was the interesting thing. And it's not a trick. It's just good human behavior. The more you ask about them to get to know them, guess what happens? They, they usually say, well, where are you from? Why are you here? Because they realize you're trying, to be, you're trying to be genuine. You actually care about them. So nobody cares what we know about the Bible, the gospel. Trust me. They do not care what we know until we, they know we care. So I would go into that room. 
and try to engage them, to show them I care. And that's what God, because I'm just kind of gifted that way. I'm, I'm, I'm a social butterfly. And, and God used that gift to engage those people. And that's what drew them into me. And then I could share some things. If anything, by the end of that day, when I'm doing hospice work, they would always let me pray with them. Because at the end of that visit, I said, do you mind if I pray with you? I didn't presume they wanted me to pray. I just said, is it okay if I pray with you? And I might have found out some needs of a grandchild, or I might have found out some needs of something else. And in that prayer, I'm, I'm, because I'm listening to their engagement, I'm praying about that, that need. But at the end of that prayer, I'm always saying, and God, I want to thank you that through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice that he died for us, we might be saved from our sins. And so I would always share the gospel indirectly. Peter's doing the same thing. God's using the gift of healing to get the attraction of people to draw them, that drawing message, so that as they show interest of inquiry, Peter can step up like a gentleman and say, I have an answer for you. So many times over the years, I've been with certain circles of Christian work that sometimes I was embarrassed to be with them when we're meeting somebody. Because I'm sitting there as a social bug just wanting to find out where you're from, what do you do for a living, how long you've been married, where did you meet that gal, where did you meet that guy? And I walked in with a chaplain one time that was a brand new chaplain. He had never done hospice work. And he, he thought of hospice work as just something to put a notch in your gun, you know, get another kind of mentality. And I walk in there with him because it's his patient. I'm kind of letting him know. I've already told him my philosophy, you know. Nobody cares what you know until they know you care. I walk in there to sit down to watch what he's doing. And the next thing you know he's doing, he's opened up his Bible. He didn't even ask him. He didn't even introduce himself. Hi, I'm Chaplain Bob. He just said, I need to read a Bible verse to you. And I sat there for 30 minutes while he did a Bible study with that individual in a facility. <clears throat> and I let him do whatever he's doing. Then when I got back in the car and I bought him lunch that day, it was kind of a what they call preceptor. We were we were training each other, and he had no he had no pastoral experience, so he didn't even know how to make a home visit. You know, if someone's sick or something. And I got in the car and we ate lunch. And I said, "Brother, I said I need to ask you a question." I said, "Why did you apply to be a hospice chaplain?" Oh, I got to win souls. Okay, well, that's a good motivation. I said, but you know what? I said, you didn't fish very well. He said, what do you mean? I said, you didn't give them any bait. You didn't have anything to draw them. You just went in there and just started beating them over the head with your Bible. I said, matter of fact, I said, you walked into their home, their home, and uninvited threw the gospel all over them. I said, I'm just telling you, don't be surprised if her daughter calls the hospice and says, I don't want that chaplain back. He said, oh, they wouldn't do that. Well, that week, who do you think got a call? The, the owner of the hospice. Well, he went in there preaching, blah, blah, blah. And you know what? He didn't get to go back. So they gave it to old chaplain Steve, and I sat down and just talked to the lady about where she's from. I found out she liked cheese balls and Hershey bars. You know, she was dying of cancer, so she could eat anything she wants to. So I would either make sure I had a Hershey bar when I went there or a big old tub of cheese puffs. And we became great friends. Now, that lady knew the Lord. 
He went in there presuming something versus asking questions. And maybe God just needs to use the gift of engagement, being kind to someone, and through that kindness, they'll begin to get some interest in you or in me when we share the gospel. The canned evangelism that I've been trained under, and I'm not going to list all the different names, I don't have a problem with them as far as understanding the topic of sharing the gospel. But one thing you'll find out about me, if you're ever with me, when I'm out visiting people to share the gospel, I'm not going to go through A, B, C, and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to do that. Because Peter didn't have anything canned today when he was sharing the gospel, did he? You know what he had? He had the word of God in his heart. So when the moment happened, the spirit led him and he spoke what was true. He spoke of the hope that was within him that was natural. It fit, it, it fit the revelation of what was going on. It was relevant to what was going on. It wasn't canned. It wasn't plastic. There's too much plastic out there, not only just with truth. There's a lot of plastic over there that's fake and false. But Peter speaks to the inquiry. Why? Because the people were drawn by a message that there was a miracle happening. Something out of, the, out of the grace of God by his gift happened. Someone was healed. Peter speaks to the inquiry. Then verse 13 through 18, Peter speaks to the ignorance. He speaks to the ignorance. And that's not in a negative sense. It's a positive thing. Look at verse 13 through 18. It says, Peter saw it, and he spoke to him, and he said in verse 13 through 18, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. Do you see how he goes straight to Jesus? He makes sure that Jesus is the central message of what he's fixing to say, and he makes it pretty clear up front it's about Jesus. Whom you delivered up and denied the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. You denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Remember when Jesus was standing there? Pilate said, should I release Barabbas, a murderer, or should I release Jesus? And the whole crowd said, release Barabbas, the murderer. He's reminding them of their ignorance, what they did in ignorance. But you denied the Holy One and the Just One and asked for a murder to be granted to you. Verse 15. And killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, which, by the way, he says he raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. He said, we saw it. We've seen him. Verse 16. And his name, and his name, and his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong. In other words, through faith in Jesus is what made this man strong. This Jesus whom you crucified, whom you denied, whom you see now. This man you see now, yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance. In other words, you denied Jesus. You said murder him. You said crucify him. You did it in your own ignorance, not knowing what God was doing. You did it in your ignorance, as did your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of his prophets that the Christ would suffer, 
he has thus fulfilled. Peter speaks to the inquiry. He gets them drawn in. And he speaks to their ignorance. He gives them clarification of the miracle. He says, you came ignorantly to this miracle, not even knowing why it even happened. And you came ignorantly when Christ was suffering. You put him to the cross. And you came in your own ignorance concerning what the prophets have been saying for centuries. He's trying to let them know that as you inquire of this great miracle and that it's attracted you here, he said, I want you to know that it's through the message of Jesus that this man was healed. And it's that same Jesus, by your own ignorance, you chose Barabbas instead of Jesus being set free, and he suffered for your sins. And in your own ignorance, you haven't even heard the words of the prophets over the years. Peter speaks to the inquirer because the people were drawn. Peter speaks to their ignorance because people not only need a drawing message, but a delivering message. In other words, when we share the gospel, it's not to make them feel better. Paul talks about how the gospel will be an offense to the Jew. It offends them. And it'll be a stumbling block to the Gentile, or maybe it's the opposite way. But the point is, is that it's, it's not going to make sense to the Jew or the Gentile because they don't want to hear this message. What's the message? You're a sinner in need of a Savior. Your sin has separated you from God, and Jesus Christ is the only one that can set you free from the bondage of that sin and that, and that due guilt and debt of dying without God. That can be a very offensive or stumbling block message. Because listen, nobody wants to hear that, do they? Nobody wants to hear that they have offended God. Nobody wants to hear that they've transgressed the laws of God. They've broken God's laws. Everybody would be happy to say, oh, yeah, we're all sinners. We all make mistakes. I remember saying that myself. But standing there in a pew at Central Baptist, I knew that I'd made a little bit more than just a mistake. I was guilty, and I deserved whatever I was going to get. But yet God carried me through that conviction of sin, and he showed me there was a Savior. His name was Jesus. Peter is speaking to the ignorance. He's speaking to the inquiry. He has a drawing message, and he has a delivery message, a liberating message that you can be set free through this very one that healed this man is the very one that can heal you from your sin-sick soul. And you did all this, although God foretold that he was suffering, you did this in your own ignorance. But you don't have to remain there, right? Then Peter not only speaks to the inquiry, speaks to the ignorance, but he speaks to the inspiration. Remember, he made reference that it's been said to the prophets. Well, he's going to give a little bit more detail on how Peter will speak to the inspiration. What about these prophets? Look at verse 19 through 24. He says, you may have done that in your ignorance, but repent. In other words, turn from that ignorance. Turn from that decision. Turn from that way. Repent, therefore, and be converted 
that your sins may be blotted out. Just like this man was healed totally and holy, be saved holy. Be, let your sins be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before. Not only when Jesus was walking on the earth, but the day of Pentecost that happened, they probably knew what was he was talking about. He had been preached to you before. Verse 21, whom heaven must receive, in other words, Jesus must go and receive to the times of restoration of all things when he comes to restore the whole earth, which God has spoken by the mouth of all, all the holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, Moses was one of those prophets, he truly said of the to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Lord, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Remember, Moses was a prophet that delivered them from the slavery of Egypt. And Moses was saying, God's going to raise one like me. He's going to raise up one to deliver you from the bodies of sin. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise you up, raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things whatever he says to you. In other words, listen to him. Verse 23, if you listen to him, and it shall be that every soul who will not hear the prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. In other words, Moses was preaching that same gospel. You either turn to God and go God's way, or you don't turn and you perish. You're destroyed. Verse 24, yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and all those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these things. Peter speaks to the inspiration. Where, where did this message come from? It came from Moses, a patriarch. It came from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It came from Samuel and all the prophets that have always been speaking of how God is the only one that can deliver you and that he's bring, bringing one that will come and purchase your deliverance and he will suffer. Isaiah 53. Peter speaks to the inspiration and in, the, and in that inspiration he says, in that inspiration through all the prophets, they're saying you must turn to the Christ for salvation. You must turn to the scriptures to hear the message of salvation and you must turn to the witness. We're witnesses of it. For salvation. He says, God has inspired a message, a message of deliverance since Moses. Matter of fact, if you were here Wednesday night, we would have saw in, John, in, in Genesis chapter 3, since that beginning fall, since that beginning sin, God was saying, there's one that's going to come to crush the head of the serpent, and it'll bruise his heel. Peter speaks to the inspiration of these people. He reminds them, go back to the prophets. Go back to Moses, the patriarch, the ones you say you believe in, the ones you say you follow. And you must turn to Christ for your salvation. You must go to the scriptures to hear salvation message. You must turn from your sins hearing the witness of deliverance. People need a drawing message. That's the miracle. People need a delivery message, a message that says you need to be delivered. And people need a divine message. A divine message. 
back when I was a functioning drunk, I had to go to DUI school a couple of times. And they told you a lot of good things about alcohol, what it does to your body. They even gave you a few little tips here and there, how to not be drinking so much or, you know, get a ride, all that kind of stuff and everything. But all they were trying to do was just change my pattern. And a few times I would turn over that leaf. If I was going to be drinking, I would make sure I stayed at your house or I got a ride. So that's all good and dandy. But my life did not change. So although they had a message that could help me as a functioning drunk, how to not get out on the road and drink and drive, right? Or maybe not how to drink as much. They had a very helpful message to turn over the leaf. But until I heard the gospel and heard a divine message that it's not about turn over leaf, it's about changing away. It's about going this way, the way I want to go, and turning my back on it and turning my face to God's way. Repenting and coming God's way. The way of deliverance. Not just the way of change, not just the way of pattern, not just the way of healthier drinking or responsible drinking, but a way of changing. I went to my class reunion back in June of 2022. We finally had one. And, of course, everybody knows I'm the preacher, right? So I have to pray before the meal. You know, they always have the token preacher to do that. But some of them that hadn't seen me since 1980 didn't know all that. And I'm going from table to table. I'm the little social butterfly. I'm sitting down at your table. I'm sitting at that table. Everybody else is still in their little cliques. And I'm going from one table to the other. And I'm just talking to them, telling them who I married and how I got three kids and one's in the Army Guard and one's a minister and my, my daughter's a teacher. And they're like, wow, you've changed, Steve. Let me buy you a beer. I said, well, I don't drink beer anymore. What do you mean anymore? And this is what I tell them every time. I said, Saturday, November 19th, 1983, when there was a last call for alcohol at the Dew Drop Inn, I took my last drink. What happened to you? I said, well, I'm glad you asked. Because on November 20th, 1983, that night, I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. Now, usually the table would clear pretty quick, you know, where I was sitting at. But sometimes there would be that one person. What happened to you? And I was able to share the gospel. Well, because I had a witness. I had a witness based off a divine message. Peter speaks to the inspiration. He said, I told you it's been in all the prophets. And he says, case in point, Moses, the deliverer. And one will come like me, a deliverer. Samuel, on down the line. He gives them, he speaks to them about the inspiration, the divine message. So, he's to, so the people need a drawing message, the miracle. They need a delivering message about deliverance, about liberation. They need a divine message. And last but not least, Peter speaks to the identity. The identity. Look at verse 25 and 26. Peter speaks to the identity. You are the sons of the prophets. These very prophets that I've been telling you that are inspired and preaching the same message that this Jesus is the Christ, the one like Moses is coming to deliver. You are the sons of the prophets. In other words, you're part of that lineage. You're part of those people that believe in God. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, the, the, the patriarchal father, right? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. 
saying to Abraham, that's what the father's saying to Abraham, and in you, God says to Abraham, and in you, your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Not just the Jews, but all families will be blessed through you, Abraham, the seed of faith, the one who believed God and was accounted to him as righteousness. To you first. In other words, it came to you first, folks. You Jewish people that are standing before me, he says, to you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you. The same blessing he talked about Abraham, to bless you by faith, to bless you for redemption, to bless you for deliverance, to bless you to know God. Sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. In other words, to cleanse you as you, as you turn to God and stop going your way and come God's way. To set you free. He speaks to their identity. One of the things I was able to do as a hospice chaplain, if I found out that someone had some kind of at least Christian religious background, it may be Catholic, Lutheran, Baptist, Presbyterian, just go on down the line of all the different 31 Baskin-Robin flavors of, of Christianity. But even if they were Mormon or Jehovah Witness or anything anything that might lead them back to this book. And whatever I knew, I would use those things to draw them. Well, what did you, for, you, know, what did you learn in Sunday school? And I had those conversations. That's what Peter's doing. He says, look, I'm speaking to your identity. You say you believe in God. You say you're the people of God. He says, you need to remember the God of redemption that came through Moses and came through Abraham. You need to remember this God of redemption. You need to remember the covenant that God made to redeem his people. You must remember that Christ is that redeemer. He gives clarification. He doesn't leave them there in some kind of quasi-half-revelation. He says, that, that one that Moses said one would come, like him, he says, that's Jesus. And like Abraham believed God and it was accounted righteousness, you must believe God through Jesus Christ. There's fuller revelation. You must remember. You must identify. You say you believe in God. Well, remember the God of redemption, the God of covenant, and the God that sent his son, Jesus Christ, to make it a clear message. He came to redeem you. The people needed a drawing message. The people needed a delivering message. They needed a divine message, and they needed a directive message message he was not only drawing them giving them a message of deliverance that's divine but he gave them direction what you need to do well what was the first word repent turn he gave them directive the gospel is not just a sweet little message of jesus loving you and dying across for your sins it is a message of jesus purchasing our salvation, and it demands a response. And if all I do is tell them that how much God loved them and sent his son, and I don't say, and at this moment, if God is tugging on your heart, turn to him, please turn to him, give them some kind of directive. They don't know what to do with that information outside the spirit of God, you know, over, overriding us. So he gave them a directive message. You must remember the God of redemption, the God of the covenant. And in that covenant and in that redemption, he sent Jesus Christ that you must turn to so that your sins will be turned away and you'll be saved, redeemed. 
the disciples, the disciples explain the miracle as an act of God. An act of God to authenticate the Christ that they preach that suffered and rose again to save and deliver a people that turned to God. And it is all for God's glory. Now Peter could have just had that man hanging on to him and John and the people coming around. He said, look guys, we didn't do anything. God did this. And that would have been suffice enough. He would have been giving God the glory. But Peter saw an opportunity to make it very clear how God did that. And he began to expound on the scriptures, what he knew from the scriptures, to explain to the people, you are drawn here by this miracle. You were drawn here by this miracle to see this man delivered from a physical need so that you would hear a message about a God that delivers. It's a divine message. It's in all the prophets. It came through Moses. It came through Abraham. God has been preaching it since time began. And he says, this is the directive. Come to Christ. Turn from your wicked ways and come to Christ today. Well, this would be the invitation for the believer, the challenge. As God's people, like Peter, we must be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us. People will question or make inquiry, but as I said before, canned evangelism won't fit there. It may fit sometimes, and it's good to learn canned evangelism, so at least you Memorize some scriptures, memorize some concepts, but don't take that can and just pour it out. Because listen, it's probably not going to fit very well in that situation. However, that training of understanding salvation, why we need salvation, how to present the salvation, at moments, those canned pieces will fit. They will fit. I have a tool bag out in my, my truck, and Thursday I was up here, and... and uh, uh, David just assumed it was my preaching bag, and, and I'm walking. He goes, whoa. He says, hey, you got a few hammers in there, you know. But the only thing I ever pulled out of that bag, the only thing I used that day was a screwdriver and a pair of needle-nose pliers. That's all I used because that's all I needed. I didn't need the screwdriver very long. I needed the needle-nose pliers. I was putting in some bulbs up there at the front porch. And I needed a ladder. We had to get a ladder over there. But I have a bag that's got all kinds of goodies in there. I can even do board drafting in there. But Joel will be proud of that. But, you know, I didn't need everything in that bag, did I? Now, when I went over around here with my bag, I didn't say, okay, hammer. I didn't set them all out. I just said, okay, we're, okay there's that screwdriver. Put it in my pocket, in those pliers, and I worked with what I needed. It's the same way with our evangelism. You, you need a bag of tools. You need training. You need maybe some kind of a list of scriptures you're memorizing, but only certain ones will fit the moment. And this is the moment. These people saw a man delivered from being lame. And Peter, by the inspiration of the Spirit, says, Ah, the message of deliverance through Moses, Abraham. People have real questions. And you know what? When people have real questions, we need to be real people, not canned and plastic people. People have real questions because God is drawing them we must have good and biblical, reasonable answers. If we don't have any, we just say, I don't know. 
I'll have to look into it. And you know, that's a, that's a legitimate answer. God draws sinners. People look. And just like these people were looking for Peter and John as the, the answer, man as the answer, what happened? They still look for man now. And you've got to explain to them, it's not about me. It's not about the preacher behind the pulpit. It's not about the evangelist that may be coming, although sometimes I think it is. Because when the love offering comes, they're a tear-jerking. But anyways, people look to man for answer, but we must point them to a divine answer, an inspired answer, a clear with a clear directive. Turn from your sins and come to Jesus alone. And that's the foolishness of preaching. We're telling people, turn from your way and come God's way. That's the foolishness of preaching because you can preach a simple message like that and the Spirit of God stirs a heart and someone comes forth and says, I need Jesus. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. Paul just preaches the gospel and people respond to the Spirit of God, not the preacher of God. He said, we didn't heal this man. His faith in Christ healed him. And it's that same Christ that we're preaching to you. This Christ whom you ignorantly put on the cross, who by the will of God suffered through that ignorance that he might save you and pay for your sins and God raised him from the dead. He's saying, come to him today. That's where we are as believers. We had that happen. God opened our eyes to a divine message of deliverance. He's set free. How would this be applied to a, a non-believer, someone who has never been set free from the bondage and guilt of sin? Well, you might have some questions this morning. I don't know. Maybe you have some. And if you do, I want you to know something. Find someone in here. Find me and say, I have a question. And if we don't know, we'll, we'll figure it out with you. If anything, we'll pray with you about that question. You may be someone listening on the, on the internet. You've got a question. Feel free to call our church. Feel free to figure out how to connect with us because we want to answer your questions. But there could be lost people that have questions. And Calvary is prepared and ready to answer that question. We will sit with you. We will pray with you. But listen, more than anything, we want you to know today that Jesus Christ the Son of God, who suffered on a cross as the just one for us unjust people, is the only one that can set you free. We may have the message. We may have a good method. We may even have miracles surrounding us. But listen, all those things are there to attract you, to give you clarity, so that you can come to Jesus today. So I'm going to ask Bill and the ladies to come forward for the time of invitation. This will be a time where if you're a believer and you have a need, you can either come forward and let me pray with you or just wave me down. Trust me. I've got a couple of good legs. I'll come to you if that's what you need as prayer. But you just got to get my attention. If you're here this morning, you're lost. Worst case scenario, bow your head right where you're at and say, Lord, save me a sinner. Jesus is the only one that can save me. Best case scenario, come forward and let us know that you're, you're surrendering to Christ. And if you're here this morning, you would like to join the church or have some inquiry about joining the church, come see me or come see me after the service. I'll be happy to sit down with you. But hymn number 470, 470 if you'll stand for the hymn of invitation.
and come with whatever your need is, 470 470-